Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Epiphany 2021. That's right. Uh, Today has a name. It is Wednesday. It is January the 6th, 2021. But it's also Epiphany. And you may be saying to yourself, I I don't have any idea what that is. That's not something on my calendar. Um, Well, it dates back to Matthew chapter 2. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2, the opening 12 verses, and get a sense of what today is about in the Christian calendar Uh, It's certainly a day observed by Roman Catholic and Orthodox Christians the world around, and so uh, important for each of us and all of us to know what's going on today with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Because this is a kingdom conversation, yes, we're going to have conversations about the kingdoms of this world, including the one in which we live, called the United States of America, but we're going to, you know, get focused in the right place first. Uh, And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, if you, uh, I'm going to interject here. <clears throat> if you know uh, who King Herod is and you know um, the Roman understanding of, uh, of authority <clears throat> and their misunderstanding of uh, things divine, then you know that Herod is uh, not saying anything honest there. All right. So, uh, verse 9. After they had heard King Herod, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. Now, it's always curious to me, why couldn't other people see the star and follow it? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Epiphany. Uh, Today is uh, Epiphany, the day when um, it's 12 days after Christmas, January the 6th. For some Orthodox uh, Christians around the world who have Christmas tomorrow on January the 7th, Epiphany will actually be January the 19th. 
Um, It's the time when Christians remember this visit of the wise men, uh, the three kings, the magi. Uh, It is uh, a time of opportunity to reflect on the reality of who Christ is and that he came as one recognized as the king of the Jews, um, recognized not only by uh, the shepherds and the angels, but by wise men from the East. We're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about the long view. We're going to talk about walking uh, in wisdom and by faith. Pastor Daryl Crouch is up next. We'll be right back. Joining me again today, Pastor Daryl Crouch. He's pastor of the Green Hill Church. You can also find him at the Crosstide blog. Daryl, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year. Thank you for um, joining me for praying out the the year which now lies behind us and praying in this new year um, on New Year's Eve. We appreciated your participation in our live stream event. It was a real blessing. Oh, that was a, it was a blessing. It was a lot of fun and it was a great encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So um, shepherding God's people today um, is, you know, I think, I think shepherding God's people in any generation is a great challenge um, in no small measure because um, people, uh, the people of God are sheep and um, that's a, you know, kind of a motley, motley crew. Um, But talk with us about uh, shepherding God's people today in a day when some people are filled with fear and anxiety, when some people um, seek the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God, um, when some people are very focused on this moment in time and um, maybe would be well served by taking a longer view. Just just talk with us about uh, the wise men who, uh, who sought King Jesus and um, what we might learn from them. Well, that's a it. It really is a lot of uh, fun, a lot of encouragement, a lot of um, I don't know insight to look at their journey and and to to pay attention to what it took for them to do what they did, and um, they followed the light that they had. They followed the um, the revelation that was theirs. They weren't uh, by any indication people of uh, what we would consider orthodox faith. Uh, they were simply following the light that God had given to them, and we're, we see that in that God's grace, uh, we see his patience, his long-suffering. Uh, we see that he sent Jesus to, to be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, Simeon's song, uh, a little bit later in that passage, um, um, you, you know, reminds us of, hey, this, this, this gift has come through the Jews, but it's, he's for the nations. And so, the wise men were illustrated that, and and they uh, responded to the to what they knew. They responded to the grace of God shown to them. And um, one of the interesting things, at least from my perspective, is we 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 know that they were people of influence. Uh, we we know they were people of wealth. We we don't know their exact position or responsibilities, but but we know that they had great influence. Yet they freely and quickly bowed to King Jesus. They left what they knew, all that they knew and all the um, 
presuppositions of their life, they were willing to uh, yield those and put those aside and bow to King Jesus. And I just think that's remarkable, knowing the the limited amount of information they had, um, the all the travail that it took to get to King Jesus. Um, I, I think um, it's just remarkable. And so when we read in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, that it, it brings that to, to light, illustrates what that looks like, that people who, who are very capable, people who are very educated, maybe people who are very affluent, people who have a lot of um, knowledge base that has informed their lifestyle and their life choices and their worldview willingly yielded um, and bowed to, to Jesus. And so the, the fear of the Lord really is the beginning of wisdom. So I'm so glad you you led us to that verse um, and that idea, because I think there are people who are filled with fear today over many, many things, um, very worldly fears, very real fears. Um, the fear of the Lord is a different kind of fear. It's a it's it's qualitatively different than the fear that we um, experience in in other parts and arenas of life. Talk about the fear of the Lord. What is that? Yeah, when we think of fear, like you said, we think of what happens on on Halloween, maybe, or watching uh, a horror show, or being scared if if uh, something uh, were to startle us. Or, as you've alluded to, many of us live with a chronic anxiety and a a chronic fear of the future. We also live, I think, Carmen, in a a moment that information is so readily available, so quickly available, that we are—it's like a— a pinball machine in our in our soul that as soon as we get information we react as soon as we get one one bit of information whether that's a headline uh, something on our news feed something someone tells us and uh, we uh, have the ability to react immediately uh, that's not um, what the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord as you said is qualitatively different it's rooted uh, in awe of God, in a dependence upon God. Uh, it's rooted in us in the sense that he is otherworldly, yet he is incredibly involved in my life. And um, he is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. I've been landing in that passage from Psalm 115 quite a bit lately. And so he is, uh, our God is in the heavens, yet he does as he pleases. He is above us, yet he is with us. And so uh, the fear of the Lord is really an expression that would call us to worship, to awe, and to trust. Uh, This idea of the worldly fear causes distrust and causes uh, all kinds of anxiety uh, about what's going to happen. The fear of the Lord is rooted in faith and that he holds the future in our hands, and therefore we can trust him and we can worship him with wonderful freedom, not just on a Sunday morning in a worship environment, but when we get that bill in the mail or we get that doctor's report or we hear that political uh, news that we we didn't like to hear, uh, whatever it is, that we can trust God. Talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch, we're talking about uh, today and tomorrow and 
ever after. Um, and in all of those times and in all of those circumstances, we belong to the God who is there. Um, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch, you can find him at the Green Hill Church and the Cross Tide blog. Uh, so, Daryl, um, in because of everything that's going on in the world, not just in Georgia uh, and across the United States of America, but in other places as well, you know, we've got older teenagers now, and so dinner conversations are pretty robust. And um, there was a conversation last night. Um, you know, this is one of those things where I have no idea how things come up, but. There was a conversation about the temptation to follow worldly wise and worldly wise being the character from um, the Pilgrim's Progress. Mm. And so I thought that I would lift that up today in our conversation because we're talking about wisdom and the wise men. Um, There's a lot of temptation today to follow worldly wise. Well, there is. And certainly there was in Bunyan's day as well. And so I think our 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 nature is to follow worldly wise. I, I think we are um, very attracted um, just by default. Uh, Eve was very attracted by default to worldly wise, and so uh, and Adam. And so I think we, we're prone to wander, and um, I think that's that's our default. And so that's the reason I I was so impressed and am so impressed with the wise men, with Simeon, with Anna, and other characters around the nativity that uh, they were um, very aware that their worldview was limited and that they did not possess all wisdom as much as as smart as they may have been or as accomplished as they may have been or as uh, educated and trained even in Judaism as they had been. Uh, They were God. Many of them were God fears already, but yet they understood that their worldview was limited and that really speaks, Carmen, I think, to the call to humility, that we, if, if we're going to be uh, followers of Jesus that are faithful over time, then humility must mark our lives, that we are learning at the feet of Jesus uh, daily, that intimacy with him marks our lives. And so rather than, than, than pinging off of the daily news feed, or the worldly wise that is around us, that we uh, filter everything through the Word of God and what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives as we follow Jesus. And and that that's a stark contrast. And so that not only builds, I think, a worldview that is more faithful, but it also builds a witness to the world that is more faithful. And so what I think in this cultural moment, your kids need, my kids are, uh, they're a little, uh, most of them are older than teenagers, but they're young adults still grappling in this space. Um, I think we need to show a confidence in the Lord and in his word that is not so um, reactionary and not so uh, filled with anxiety, which also uh, produces a lot of anger. So a lot of what I think the generation behind us is seeing is that people who hold a Bible and who talk about Jesus uh, are mad about it and are mad about everything. 
and are responding out of anger and anxiety. And so that our worldview may not be as shaped as we think it is when we're responding that way. And so uh, I think sometimes we just need to communicate to our kids and to the people around us that, hey, God is in control. I don't love this outcome of this election. I don't love this outcome of this situation in the Supreme Court. I don't love what I'm seeing in Hollywood, whatever it is. But here's why. And here's what I think God is doing, you know, in my heart. And and I, I, I'm, I'm trusting him over time to use the witness of the gospel to transform lives. And so I just think sometimes um, evangelicals just are really angry. And I understand there's a righteous anger, but that's not, I don't know that righteous is always the way to characterize the, the way we respond to um, this cultural moment. So we've been turning to um, Paul's correspondence with the church at Corinth. Um, and mm. talking about division, um, talking about division that existed uh, in among God's people then, um, but the reality that Christ is not divided, and so, you know, seeking the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Him, mm. um, and then talking about uh, Christ crucified as God's power and the very mm-hmm. wisdom of God, because, you know, that's, it's like, ultimately flips the conversation on its head, like the the wisdom that Paul is addressing that exists in the world, the worldly wise people of the day, you know, they completely do not get it um, because the wisdom of God demonstrated on the cross makes no mm-hmm. sense to worldly wisdom or to the worldly wise. So, uh, you know, want to um, encourage our listeners now, you know, spend some time in First uh, Corinthians chapters one and two, good, good place to start today. Um, if you want to, you know, discover some of the wisdom of God and how it is profoundly different than the wisdom of the world, we're certainly going to encourage everyone listening to uh, to seek the things that are above, um, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. the 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 world is as it is, but it still belongs to God, and uh, and we're not going to lose faith in the midst of that. And we're going to walk by faith, and we're going to walk in wisdom. Um, all the days of our life. I mean, that's that's who we are, and this is the time in which God has given us uh, to live. It's not an observation, Daryl. I don't, you know, just as my little contribution to the wisdom conversation. No, I love it. And I think we we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that the gospel is the transforming work in the life of our kids and of this generation and of the culture that we're around? Do we really believe— that Jesus transforms lives uh, rather than institutions or even ideologies or philosophies. Uh, Those things are important and they're built around uh, a Christian worldview, no doubt. But it's it's Jesus who transforms lives. It's Jesus who moves people from death to life. And so uh, are are we is our is our voice being used to lead people to talk more about Jesus and to have Jesus discussions and to look to Jesus rather than to um, a lot of the worldly wise that we tend to build on our own. And so absolutely, um, let us look to the cross. Amen. I'm excited to, uh, you know, the beginning of the year is always um, uh, always an interesting time. And then it doesn't take us very long before we get to pivot toward uh, Lent and the cross. And so 
uh, Christmas and Easter have a connectivity that you and I have uh, have observed before, but we will continue to do so uh, between now and uh, and the lead up to Holy Week and Easter. And just you know, I I live with great anticipation of the resurrection power of Christ, not only in my personal life and the life of those uh, whom I love, but the life of the world itself. Like I get it that uh, that the gospel is about everyone and all of time, um, and so hoping that in the le- in the weeks leading up to um, our observance of of Holy Week and Easter, you and I can keep people focused on the cross. I know that's your heart, and I, uh, I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm I'm excited about that already. We're you know, in, in uh, church life, we, we know when Easter is. So we're 88 days away from Easter today. So, and we love, love all that it means and the hope that we find in Christ. And so uh, as spring uh, springs, um, we uh, really turn our hearts to Jesus in a way that's fresh. And uh, that empty tomb really is a megaphone of God's love and the hope that we have in him. Amen. Amen. Daryl Crouch, thank you as always so much. Um, what a joy. Uh, what a joy to continue the conversation with you. Thank you, my brother. Hey, hey God bless you. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to bring you a, an update here um, on the races in Georgia, the Senate runoff. Democrat Raphael Warnack was declared the victor over Senator Kelly Loeffler uh, in one of two Georgia runoffs. Um, That declaration of victory came at about 2 a.m. Eastern time. Um, Raphael Warnock would become um, Georgia's first black senator. Uh, but you're saying to yourself, uh, the, the GOP had one to lose, right? Well, yes, but Democrat John Ossoff is also uh, barely uh, ahead of Senator David Perdue in the other runoff. Uh, John Ossoff, if elected, would be the youngest person elected to the Senate in decades. Um, he's 33 years old. Uh, most of the outstanding votes, which is a very, very uh, small number left, uh are in Georgia counties, which are Democratic strongholds. And so uh, most media outlets are now projecting an Ossoff victory as well. That second victory would mean that Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer would become the majority leader of the Senate um, before the joint meeting of Congress today, um, taking power from Mitch McConnell. Uh, And um, so just uh, really, really critical things happening In the political world today, we're going to talk about that and several other political headlines with Hunter Baker next. We'll be right back. Families call me all the time and say, we need help. What do we do to fix our kid? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You know what my answer is? Well, there's very little we can do to fix our kid. What we've got to focus on is fixing ourselves. In the process, we're allowing God to do something with our child way beyond our own resources. So let's be practical. Is there something in your family you'd like to be different? Maybe a kid that's disrespecting others or blowing off the rules? The problem's so obvious and, of course, should result in consequences. But what's not quite as obvious is what God is trying to teach us. Quit trying to fix your kid 
and let your family's transformation begin with you. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. be a person interested in politics in the United States of America. I've got Dr. Hunter Baker. He is the Dean of Arts and Sciences at Union University. He's an author uh, and he is a frequent conversation partner of mine. Hunter, welcome back and Happy New Year. Hi there. Uh, Same to you. What a week, man. What a week. And it's only Wednesday. Yeah, this this is uh, this is big. I've I've got a lot of uh, friends who are deep, deep, deep into GOP politics, and they are freaking out. Right. So um, let's uh, let's actually start there. Um, it it at least looks like. I mean, this is sort of a at this point on Wednesday morning at six forty a.m. Central Time on the sixth of January. So if you're listening to this as a podcast, you know uh, more than we know about the outcome of the runoff elections in in Georgia for uh, two seats in the U.S. Senate. But it looks like both of the Democrats will win. Uh, that would mean that control of the Senate would flip. Democrats will run the table in D.C. for the next two years. Um, my expectations of that are pretty much all bad uh, related to abortion, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity politics, uh, the rollback of religious liberty protections for individuals, businesses, institutions, climate change, environment. I mean, I federal funding initiatives like I I don't I really it's hard for me to see any good. So maybe uh, maybe you see some some good that I don't see or want to comment on any or all of that. Well, I would say this. It's uh, it's a little bit more complicated just in the sense that uh, so yes, you're at you're at fifty fifty, assuming both Democrats win, which it appears to be the case. And I mean, there's all kinds of uh, that. First of all, there's a crisis for the Republican Party because you have Donald Trump convincing a lot of his voters that the election was stolen, that the whole thing is corrupt, and you know, so probably, probably that cost you some voters that there are probably some of his people who stayed home. Uh, and on the other hand, he excites the Democrats even more to go out and vote uh, against him and his party. So there's that. But the other thing is, is that at 50-50 with uh, Kamala Harris breaking a tie, um, all of the attention, everything is going to go to Joe Manchin, right? So we we had a situation where the Supreme Court was divided and Anthony Kennedy was the tiebreaker and everything basically fell upon him in terms of making the big decisions. Well, now that's Joe Manchin, Democrat, West Virginia uh, in the U.S. Senate. So, for example, he has indicated that he won't be in favor of court packing, so that could that could prevent that plan from happening, um, and he could be the backstop on on some of these other things. So, uh, whatever whatever happens, he is the he is now the the fulcrum on the whole deal. He's going to be under a ton of pressure, uh, and so I expect I expect him to become one of the most famous politicians in America very soon. Joe Manchin becomes uh, the guy to watch and the guy to pray for, um, for sure. Absolutely. 
Um, let's talk about what uh, what's going to happen today in Congress. Um, today's the day that a joint session of Congress is supposed to certify the Electoral College results. Um, what does that look like? And uh, and give us the history of senators raising questions and objecting to um, to electors, because it's not the first time this has happened. It's not the first time. I mean, even even recent history, uh, you have had some uh, Democrats do that. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It may have been Barbara Boxer uh, in California. Um, so this is not totally new, uh, although because you have uh, a president losing office and pushing really, really hard to try to overturn the results of the process, um, this is getting a lot of attention. I mean, you know, he, he has for just a little while longer anyway, the bully pulpit and he's using it. And, uh, these Republican senators are in a really tough position. I would be surprised if, for example, Ted Cruz really thinks himself that the election is stolen. Um, but the situation for him and others is that it may be the case that a large, large number of their constituents are convinced and feel that if Cruz or Hawley or others will not stand up for Trump during this time, that they will not support them going forward. So that would be my guess is that a lot of this is kind of stage management uh, trying to prevent getting primary in the next election. A lot of really interesting um, coverage out there today uh, for you to read if you're interested in um, how Congress counts the Electoral College, um, what is normally a fairly symbolic affair, affirming the president-elect, is today expected to be not only contentious but very lengthy when the House and Senate convene in a joint session. Um, And so uh, just uh, something certainly that we are going to all be watching All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker in just a moment. Um, We're going to talk about um, what's going on in the House of Representatives. They have adopted a rules package. Hunter's going to tell us what a rules package is, and he's going to tell us some of the things that are in this one that we need to know about. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Paul's still playing the Georgia music. Well, I mean, it's going to be the last chance really to use it. Come on. We will not be playing Georgia music again for a very long time. This is like a declaration. Um, Dr. Hunter Baker and I continuing our conversation about all things in, well, we we don't have time to cover all things in the American political scene. Um, But uh, when the 117th Congress opened its session, there was a congressional prayer that has gotten a lot of coverage um, because the, uh, the, the member of Congress who offered the prayer um, concluded not only with an amen, but an ah woman. And I think that it was probably pretty tongue-in-cheek, but it has gotten a lot of ink, um, and it has gotten a lot of social media attention. Um, the things in the prayer that concern me uh, are range much more deeply and widely than that particular um, comment or commentary offered at the end. But there's things going on in the House rules that are evidenced in that congressional or that language at the conclusion of the opening prayer of the 117th Congress that I do want to talk about. So, Hunter, um, how do you want to you know sort of wade into the conversation 
Uh, this is more than just uh, a man, a woman. Right. Yeah, there's there is a controversy about, um, I guess, an attempt to uh, alter the way language is used uh, within the house um, to eliminate a lot of the gendered language uh, that we typically use on a day to day basis. Um, first of all, I just want to say something about the amen, a woman thing. Uh, <clears throat> on first blush, that sounds really crazy, right? Uh, and and then you get all kinds of jokes like, uh, you know, instead of a mandate, it's a woman date. Uh, uh, instead well, of when of you Hebrews, sit down, yeah, when you sit of down, Hebrews, and... it's, it's Hebrews, you know. Sure. Uh, well, and so here's <laughs> the thing. Like, so, so I have to admit, though, that there are um, – uh, sort of the fun with language part of this um, or the playing with words part of this, uh, evangelical Christians are just as guilty of. I mean, there is actually a, a blog called Shebrews, and it's, you know, it's women writing, yeah. you know, and, you know, it's sort of in the Bible study area of things. So I'm just saying that, like, we 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 cannot just point fingers across the aisle and say, oh, this is all them. Everybody's, you know, playing with words. We have played fast and loose with words as well. And so I want, I want people to, you know, kind of be aware of that. Am I offended? You know, am I offended for God? First of all, that's where my offense should be. Am I offended for God that a word that is not male nor female, the, the Hebrew amen, uh, a word of agreement, um, uh, am, I, am I offended for God that a prayer um, – was amended in this way. Yes, absolutely. But am I more offended for God that in the context of the prayer, you know, the 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 Hindu gods were lifted up as equal unto the Lord our God? I'm I'm more offended right. for God about that. Um, and so, you know, I think that this for me part of this is watching what offends us and being sure we're offended deeply by the right things. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. Uh, I'm more concerned about the effort to kind of strike all the gendered language because language, in a lot of ways, portrays our social reality. Um, people may recall uh, George Orwell's 1984, and in 1984, uh, there's this thing being developed called Newspeak, right? And so, uh, that, for instance, they get rid of a word called bad. There is no more a word called bad. Now there's just ungood, right? Uh, and if something's very bad, it's double plus ungood. Uh, and there's, <clears throat> but what they're doing is, is through the redefinition of the language, through the recrafting of the language, you can make it impossible to even speak of certain things, right? And so part of what's being what's going on is the idea that gendered language, language that puts people in particular male and female roles, even like nephew and niece. We've seen this with actor and actress, though. We, we typically I think at the big award shows, they don't even use actress anymore. There's male actor and female actor. Uh, there's an attempt to uh, remove that specificity. And I don't totally understand why. That is so critical to the other side, but they feel deeply about it, uh, and I and I do find it threatening as an adherent to the Christian faith, uh, where one of the key texts, male and female, he created them. Uh, this is this is a fundamental reality uh, as part of God's creation, and the the effort to kind of get rid of that worries me. 
uh, it worries me that there's more to come. Oh, yeah. No question about it. Um, so we just talked a couple of days ago, I think it was Monday, um, with Carl Truman um, about his new book. And um, I'm pulling up the title here because it's it's long. I, I think the book should be renamed How We Got Here um, because that would be easier for people to remember. The book is actually titled the, tr- uh, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Um, I think it's a must-read for every thinking Christian, although I confess I had to read it with uh, my dictionary app open on my phone because it's been a long time since I uh, was in a college classroom, let alone a graduate school classroom, and it's that kind of book. Um, mm-hmm. But there's probably not a book that I could more highly recommend for understanding how we got to where we are and uh, the anticipation of what is to come. And I, I will tell you, it's as if um, uh, it's as if the House of Representatives took this legislation at, right out of what what Truman predicts. Like it, it, it so. Um, the language conversation is an important one. Um, the the redefinition of words, the appropriation, uh, the misappropriation of of concepts and images, um, all to the service of transgenderism. And he he wants us to not miss. This is not about sexual revolution. This is about uh, the redefinition of the self, and that's a completely different thing. That's actually a different conversation, which is why there is a war within the LGBTQ crowd, when you talk about genuine feminists, like the real feminists, they, the, you know, they, they see the threat of transgenderism and they are, you know, rising up against it, particularly when you talk about like women's athletics. But that's right. um, Yeah. So I think that you have your finger on the pulse of the concern here. Tell people a little bit about house rules. What are house rules and why does it matter that in the rules package, um, that has been adopted by the 117th Congress, the House of Representatives will not allow on the floor gendered language. Because that's, that's, it's going to be hard for them to talk. <laughs> it, it may end up, it may end up being very symbolic because I, I agree. I'm not sure. Well, you get this, you get this. Um, first of all, the House rules, it tells them how they're going to do business on a day-to-day basis, what the rules are. Um, but I'm just thinking that you get these this these awkward phrasing, <clears throat> and you've seen this in some of the major media, uh, where instead of female, you can see something like a person with a uterus, right? Uh, as mm-hmm. as the way you would refer to a classic female, mm-hmm. uh, as we as we know them and love them, uh, the. Um, but the other thing is, I think about. I was watching an Amazon commercial, and and it's talking about uh, access to computer education, and it said something like that: uh, people of color and those who identify as female often uh, have inadequate computer education. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's like that's like a mainstream commercial. Not females; those who identify as females. I mean, we are. Yeah, we I, are I'm trying to remember the. Purely... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm trying to remember the the reference to pregnant person. Uh, yeah, which was seeking to replace the language uh, that would in any way identify that person as a woman, as a female, um, even as a person with a uterus, right? So, because pregnant person 
now you know is intended to yeah it's it's this is so i want people to take a deep breath and i want them to know um that these are the waters in which we now swim and um it's it's a it's a real challenge i i learned how to talk like this the gender neutral gender free way um when i was in graduate school and so i'm familiar with how um tortured the language can become and uh, and how we have to learn to listen very, very differently to what's being said, because words do not have the meaning that has traditionally been affixed to them. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, my suspicion is that this effort is destined to fail just because uh, I don't think it's ever going to be more than a boutique concern of kind of an elite group of people. Uh, I think ultimately it's going to be rejected and kind of will be sort of like Esperanto, right? The the uh, a, a language that was going to cover the earth that many liberals were very enthusiastic about. Uh, I don't think that this will that this will get very far. I, I think that a lot of the American people will be kind of repulsed by it and uh, that that will go double for uh, a lot of people in other countries around the world. Yeah, uh, we got to prepare ourselves for a lot of members of Congress to be called out of order uh, on a very, very regular basis based on this particular House rule. All right, uh, Hunter, you and I got to leave it right there. Thank you, as always. We uh, we always look forward to our conversations with you. Happy New Year. Same to you. Thank you. We'll be right back. <laughs> so we have a listener uh, who has texted me, um, hey, I don't like these waters. Uh, we're going to need your help navigating them. Uh, here's the bottom line, my friends. God is good, and we are his. That's it. That's the bottom line. God is good, and we are his. Uh, and to let that be of encouragement to you today, I know that the headlines of this particular day are very disturbing. I know um, that we don't like the waters in which we uh, now find ourselves swimming as Christians in a post-Christian American culture. Um, I also know that God is good and we are his. Um, He loves you. He sees you. He knows the concerns of your heart. Uh, He is also the God of all history and you can be confident in him. He's not lost control. None of this surprises him. uh, And he is good. God is good and we are his. Rest in that. uh, Rest in that today. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.